What are you looking at? Yeah, what are you looking at? Nothing. Yeah. Right? Nothing. All these girls gonna be in the league? You wish. You do wish. They're gonna have four teams. 16 girls to a team. That's right. 64 girls. Yeah, what are you, a genius? <laughs> you know, they got over 100 girls here, so, um... Some of you are gonna have to go home. Yeah, sorry about that. Come on, Doris. Those people are jerks. What do you mean, some of us? Do it. Okay, some of them are going home. Hey, how did you do that? Excuse me. Hey, hey, you caught that? Hello? Hello and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where we take a look back at pop culture from the 80s and 90s and see if it's aged as well as we have. Mm. Spoiler, it hasn't, (laughs) no matter what it is. What could? In every episode, we examine a pop culture artifact or two or six to see whether they stand the test of time. Nirvana, yes. Ace Ventura, no. (laughs) Fortunately, we always agree on everything. You wish. (laughs) Or if we don't agree, later our friends tell us that we were wrong. (laughs) Such as this the case with Buffy. I got some Buffy fans out there who are my friends who want nothing to do with me They're burning crosses on her lawn. (laughs) Yeah, to be clear, we haven't received hate mail, but it escalated straight to burning crosses. (laughs) (laughs) It's really like old-fashioned hate mail. (laughs) I am Chris, your podcast host, most likely to teach an illiterate woman to read smut in the back of a bus. <laughs> I am Becky. I'm the podcast host, most likely to have my uniform burst open at a key moment in the game. And oops, my bosoms come flying out. <laughs> and I'm Seth Pearson, the host most likely to like the Highlands. So uh, <laughs> we've covered Romy and Michelle, my best friend's wedding. Disney music, Labyrinth. I think it's safe to say that this is not the butchest podcast out there (laughs) on the airwaves. Oh, no, no. So today we're going to do something that we've never done before and we'll probably never do again. We're going to talk about sports. (laughs) Yay? Yeah. Baseball, to be exact. I'm sure all the straight males in our listening audience are just perking up at that news. All the straight male in our audience. Exactly. But, uh... So we are about to discuss the only sports drama that stars such heteronormative heroes as Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna, and Lori Petty. (laughs) Don't forget Gina Davis. Well, I mean, she's a little more hetero than those folk. (laughs) Gina's butch, yo. (laughs) So we are talking about A League of Their Own, a movie that is basically in a league of its own because there are not very many movies about female athletes. Wait, Wait, you mean lady sports is not a genre that's just rife with classics? Pop quiz. Can you think of any others? I looked it Uh, up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Whip It? Yeah, there's Whip It. There's Whip It. There's Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, yeah. So that's roller derby and uh, female soccer. Yeah. (laughs) Female soccer, (laughs) yes. Female soccer. Soccer with a vagina. That was its working title. (laughs) Soccer with a vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Is there like a tennis movie? Um, (laughs) There's not. Lady Racket. And Million Dollar Baby kind of counts because... That counts, yeah. It's an Oscar winner. She's she's tough. (laughs) But also she gets killed. Tough like Madonna. She gets killed, though. A League of Their Own was released in 1992. I wanted to take a look back at a random pop culture artifact that is loosely related. So I just showed Becky and Seth the Super Bowl commercial with Cindy Crawford that was pretty famous. Do, do you guys remember seeing this commercial? I remember, before? yeah. I don't remember it at all. Was it 1992 that this mm-hmm. commercial aired? Okay. Yeah. It's the one where she is uh, just being all hot in the summer sun and drinking a Pepsi and two little kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, yeah, 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 about the can. 
Yes. And then and then also like we we all noticed pretty much simultaneously that she was drinking a regular Pepsi, which yes. is chock full of sugar. It blew yeah. my mind that they would allow a supermodel to drink a regular Pepsi. Where it was with water, I'm sure. <laughs> we need the sugar Pepsi. has never touched her lips in its life. <laughs> Yeah, this did remind me that Cindy Crawford was a very beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember this. It reminded me of soda. I think her and Kate Moss were the 90s pinup girls. Like, Kate Moss was like heroin chic, and Cindy Crawford was like the babe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like Cindy Crawford was definitely like the, well, not the... Not that Kate Moss is not, you know, mm-hmm. a very attractive woman, but I think she had the more of like the waifish, like fashiony mm-hmm. look, whereas Cindy Crawford was like probably the girl. Maybe we aren't the greatest test audience for this, <laughs> but the girl that like all the guys were really like yeah 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 for her. exactly exactly <laughs> all the yeah yeah yeahs were for her. And also, I would say that Kate Moss was more infamous, where Cindy Crawford was more famous. Sure, um, yeah. but they also came up at very different times. But I think the commercial was really emblematic of the way that supermodels, especially in the '90s, were just really shamelessly used to plug all kinds of products that supermodels would never fucking interact. <laughs> with in any way. I mean, supermodels was really a thing of the 90s, like the 80s and 90s. The supermodels today are pretty much... RuPaul. Yeah, like the old supermodels and then like Victoria's Secret, I guess, is kind of... Those models are famous. Yeah, they're not really supermodels. There's like actors and actresses who are models in, you know, shilling products. Yeah, and now it's like influencers too. It's not even necessarily like actors and actresses. It's even before we get into celebrities... Yeah. So web. Oh, <laughs> and so web <web-utons. laughs> Yeah, now I mean I guess people look to YouTube for like those beauty tutorials and stuff if they're looking for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of product endorsement. So, uh that's sets the scene a little bit for where sports and women were in 1992. <laughs> but I do think it really shows like the the intersection especially of how entertainment, like sports related entertainment viewed women. And that really was kind of the default context for it, where it would be like they are we, they were only pitching it on the sake of their hotness, not on anything really to do with the product itself. Right. And I mean, you couldn't get more basic than, oh, it's the Super Bowl. Here's a commercial with Cindy Crawford in a crop top to sell our product. Like the fact that this movie, A League of Their Own, came out during this year. This commercial obviously has nothing to do with women playing sports, but it just shows (laughs) exactly how... What they were up against. Yeah, exactly. In every episode, we like to have a question that relates or loosely relates to the topic at hand. So this episode, my question for you guys is... Has anyone seen my new red hat? (laughs) (laughs) Piss on your red hat! (laughs) Becky is now pissing on my red hat. (sighs) You guys, in the bathroom. In the bathroom, please. So I have an actual question for you guys. Um, It's a pretty obvious one, given our topic, but um, I wanted to ask you guys what your history with sports is, because I don't think any of us are someone who would be considered the stereotypical jock in high school. Correct me if I'm wrong. Speak for yourself, bro. I mean, Seth did love his jock jams, (laughs) so maybe. I got um, down to the jock jams, y'all. That is not convincing whatsoever. (laughs) I'll go first. My history with sports is not. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Um, Seth. Becky. (laughs) (laughs) As far as any kind of team sports that you would play, literally the only sports team I 
ever joined um, was golf. (laughs) (laughs) Was not expecting that answer. In like like seventh and eighth grade, my parents, specifically my dad, really pressured me to do some kind of sport to be part of my high school resume. Which I don't, in retrospect, I don't even know how I ever got convinced that that was a thing. Wait, to get into high school? Yeah, to get into really good high schools. To like, what? I, in retrospect, yes. <laughs> what is the correct question in response to that? But <laughs> that's a question I asked after I. You had know, done if you want to get year. into a good high school, you got to play golf. <laughs> <laughs> well, but like a sport. And of course, as you correctly surmised, <laughs> uh, Quiz Bowl did not really count as a sport. Uh, yes, I was also in the Quiz Bowl team, and we were the champions. Um, but then in high school, I didn't do any sports other than, of course, Lincoln-Douglas debate, uh, which is <laughs> one of the most full contact of all sports. Full contact of the brain. You just mush each other's brains up against each other. (laughs) Primarily. Primarily. I did not uh, watch sports growing up. I was never really into football or basketball, but I would, like, play them, like, just with neighbors and sometimes playing them in PE, and I was okay with them, you know? At different times in my life growing up, I would see sports matches of local teams, and I would enjoy watching them in the moment, but I was never the kind to develop a, like, fan relationship with any particular team, and there was never any one sport that I, like, wanted to really pursue and hone a skill in. Now, like, I very avidly will play ping pong or (laughs) air hockey or uh, pool, billiards, if you will. Um, This is Jock Jams playing, right? Yeah, I I love to pump the Jock Jams when I'm playing badminton. (laughs) Just hoof that shuttlecock over the net to the Tootsie Roll. Everything you're saying sounds like a euphemism (laughs) or something. (laughs) Oh, rest assured, it is. (laughs) Becky, your history with sport? Oh, this is a touchy subject. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, were you into massage as a sport? I did not play any sports growing up. I was overweight growing up, and I wasn't really, like, encouraged to play. You know, you're not picked for teams, and, you know, people think that you're overweight, you're not going to be able to do anything or help out, so you don't even try. And I... I guess I did a little bit of, like, baseball and soccer and stuff like that. I went to weight loss camp, and that's where I actually was forced to exercise and do things. I couldn't just, like, hide out in the outfield. And I guess that's where I started, like, you know, actually getting involved in sports where I was actually encouraged. And I would actually be pretty good at hockey, like, field hockey. And I've, like, dabbled in things. As an adult, I've dabbled in, like, boxing and, you know, athletic kind of some things. In high school, I joined track for a day because I was like, <laughs> I need some sport on my college resume. Your high school resume? <laughs> oh, not no, your college. high school resume? College. My sister was like, just join track. It's easy. Just run. And so I showed up. And they were like, run five laps, and I ran one, and I quit. (laughs) Because I was like, I don't even like doing this during gym. I didn't even like one of these. No, I hated it. I hated all, I didn't like any of this. I think just from an early age, when you're not encouraged to do it, you just kind of don't want to do it. And my family was not a sports family, so we didn't go, like, see baseball games or hockey games or anything like that. So that wasn't in my life. Um, Yeah, and I avoided talking about the negative side of all this, you know, because defense mechanisms are what they are. But I also pretty closely associated sports with rejection as a kid. Yeah, it was all rejection. That's what I was trying to get at, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But 
a few years ago, I picked up roller derby and I've been on a team for six years. It's very funny how within those six years, at some point, I actually couldn't tell people I'm not an athlete because for the first few years, it's like, I'm not an athlete. Like, I've never done a sport before. This is all new to me. But after like three, four or five years, like you start calling yourself an athlete. And I really would now. And and also, she's really badass at it, you guys. <laughs> she you. is like a graceful gazelle. Aw, thank you. Um, Krasha. Yes. My derby name is based off Kesha, my love, my pop love. Mm-hmm. I've met her and I was able to tell her my derby name is Krasha based on her. This is based on our view. I was about to say her stage name, but like that's her real name. Yes. Well, the dollar sign, <laughs> yeah, I think, was maybe not given yeah. at birth. <laughs> um, but I've been involved in roller derby for six years. I just had a tournament in Baltimore and D.C. and we played five games in two days. And I would definitely say I'm an athlete now, even if I don't continue with roller derby in the future. Um, I think athleticism and and not sports so much, but just being active is definitely a part of my life now where if I go a week without exercising, I feel weird. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel good. Um, and that's really encouraging. And I have to say that I got into roller derby because of Whippet. I saw the movie and I was like, I feel like I could do that. And I think that it's really important for there to be more female sports movies because I think maybe a girl in 1992 saw League of Their Own and said, hey, I want to be a baseball player. And they're like, too bad you have to go back to the 1940s because they don't <laughs> right. have that anymore. Right. Or maybe just to be involved in sports Softball in general. Or or, yeah. yeah sure. So I, I think that just goes to show that these movies are important. Mm-hmm. And I also, I guess I wanted to follow up, I guess with both of you, but kind of with Seth. Um, did you feel pressure to play sports? Because, I mean, this movie, we're going to talk a lot about gender, I'm sure. So obviously there are different expectations on males and females about mm-hmm. sports. So, I mean, my nerdiness was not a thing that wasn't apparent to everyone around me. So like Becky, I didn't really get pressured to play sports. I will say a lot of my, most of my friends, um, Though I was mostly friends with nerdy folks who had similar geeky interests to me, um, most of my closest friends throughout my young life did play one sport or another. Like, most of them, I think, were into soccer. That was kind of the most prevalent one. But they never shamed me for not being into sports at all. And because I got bullied by so many of the folks who were kind of associated with being more jock-type people... Um, I didn't really give a shit what they thought about how I spent my time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good in that sense. In the world of PE and the kind of forced physical activities that I did have, there was a lot of rejection in that. But there wasn't rejection like among my friends, and there wasn't any kind of pressure or judgment that I wasn't playing sports with them. All right, so my history with sports is I tried. (laughs) (laughs) You tried. (laughs) I played t-ball around first grade, I believe. I'm pretty sure I was out in the outfield. And (laughs) I think I would forget that I was, like, playing a game. I was just so far out there that I would, like, lose track of what was going on and, like, be daydreaming. (laughs) And then the ball would come and I was like, oh, shit. Like Just kind of going on a vision (laughs) quest there, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, basically. I also have a traumatizing memory from second grade of playing kickball at recess and my slip-on shoe when I was kicking the ball flew up in the air very high and did like many flips and everyone laughed at me because it was kind of a balletic move on the part of my shoe. And it just kind of taught me that I shouldn't try and kick things. I did also join a bowling league when I was in fourth grade. I still remember my bright orange bowling ball. It was eight pounds. 
it was not for any sort of high school resume or anything like Did that. Did you have your own <laughs> pair of bowling shoes? Uh, I don't think so. I think I had to rent. Okay. Wow. I don't think I wanted to purchase those <laughs> horrible, ugly things. But yeah, in general, I was always naturally pretty bad at sports. Like Seth kind of said, I was more of an indoors kid, as you might say. I was good at writing and I loved reading as a kid. So any time that I had to try and <laughs> make action... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the technical term. Yeah, yes. Try to engage one of the laws of physics by dynamic kinetic motion. Yeah, it did not happen, really. <laughs> no action. Some could call it inaction. But I did feel like when I was growing up, in the community that I was in, I feel like it was kind of the only thing that boys were really valued for, athletic ability. So it felt odd to not be able to do that. And it was it was considered weird when you would occasionally be asked to like play soccer or something, and you're like, how does this work? Like, I don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had been able to be more comfortable with sports, but I was kind of taught early on that if you're not good at it immediately like don't even try because it's just going to embarrass you because there are all these attachments that people make to like how much of a male you are you know if you're not good at sports like oh you're kind of a loser so I would say that that still like lingers in my life a little bit but you've played dodgeball yeah I did play that so playing dodgeball as an adult and playing sports as an adult, did you feel vindicated, like your younger self? Like, hey, now I'm an adult and I'm playing sports and I'm pretty good at it. No, because I was not that good at <laughs> okay. it. So that is kind of the thing is that even though it was a gay league and um, I mean, typically like being gay is not really about being athletic, but it is. It definitely is. And you are really valued for how, you know, masculine or muscular you are. And that becomes, I think, even more than for a straight guy at our age. Like, that's really a feature of being gay. So it, it again, just made me kind of feel like being back in high school because I was having fun playing and I really enjoyed my team and the game, but I was not particularly good at it. And eventually I kind of just stopped playing because I felt like I was maybe letting the team down by not being better. And yeah, it was basically just like high school all over oh, again. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, and that's that's really fascinating because it's a thing that we'll get into in talking about the movie itself. But I think in the same way that the women in a league of their own don't escape patriarchy just by being female athletes and by having that be part of their identity. Gay athletes don't escape patriarchy and these bullshit gendered definitions of power just by being athletes. So that that sucks, but it also unfortunately makes sense given the way that our society still works. Yeah, and I'm hoping, you know, that things will be different for my grandchildren. <laughs> A League of Their Own was released on July 1st, 1992, uh, 25 years ago, last month. I went to the 25th anniversary screening at Synespia, the cemetery screening in Hollywood, uh, where Lori Petty showed up to grace us with her high ones. Lucky. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's fun to see her. There was no Madonna. I was guessing that the big celebrity was going to be Madonna, but it was not. Yeah, she couldn't fit it in. No. no. The movie cost $40 million to make. It grossed $132.4 million worldwide, and opening weekend in the U.S. was $13.7 million. And it scored a 67 on Metacritic, so pretty good reviews. Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for the entire month of July. 
Wow. I imagine this being a more recent movie than that song's popularity suggests. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways in which this movie feels more progressive Yeah, than the very, actual times were. It does Truly. not feel like a movie made in 1992. It just no. really doesn't, yeah. And then following Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back was Madonna's This Used to Be My Playground. So I was going to ask, yeah, yeah, that was a big hit. Other movies released the month of July 1992 were Cool World, <laughs> Boo. Ooh, Death Becomes Her, Yay. Yay. and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> All of which have been mentioned on this podcast before. And about which we have unanimous and undivided opinions. Uh-huh. Yep. At some point, like, years into this podcast, we're just going to be saying boo or yay after like every reference to anything. Yep. <laughs> we're we're going to go monosyllabic. I mean, the title fits already, When We Were Young. (laughs) Yes, good. And A League of Their Own debuted at number two at the box office behind Batman Returns, which is fine by me because I love Batman Returns. There's also a very athletic female in that movie. Who would that be? One Selena Kyle? Ah, yes. A.K.A. Catwoman. A.K.A. Dangerous Minds. (laughs) So the film was primarily positively reviewed. Boston Globe critic Jay Carr said a league of their own may not boost its material into the level of pop myth as, say, last year's great female buddy movie Thelma and Louise did. It's a bit too concerned with being likable to make that kind of bold leap. But if a league of their own doesn't knock the ball out of the park, it's a clean hit with extra bases written all over it. Pretty much all the reviews had baseball puns in there. How could you not? Yeah. One of the more negative reviews. Was it from Rita Kempley? (laughs) I did not see any Rita Kempley reviews, although I will be tracking her on this podcast. We are on Rita Watch from now on. Because Rita liked Ace Ventura, but didn't like Dumb and Dumber. Is that it? Rita, we've got our eye on And she liked Roger Rabbit, too, by the way. Well. (laughs) One of the more negative reviews was from Joe Pollack of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, said the movie's briefly entertaining, but shows that sports films featuring women are no better than those featuring men. Much of the problem belongs to director Penny Marshall, who reaches for the cliché and for the easy way out each time the movie seems to be about to make a serious statement about women or about baseball. Becky's clutching her pearls. And I'm taking Becky's pearls so I too can clutch them. (laughs) So what is your guys' history with A League of Their Own? Becky, do you want to start since you seem so visibly (laughs) offended by... Um, I don't remember, like, first seeing this movie, but I definitely watched it as a kid, and I loved it. I mean, it's pretty simple. There's not really any story. I just remember always watching it and always thinking it was great. Did you see it in theaters or, like, on video? Probably not. It probably was one of those movies that was on our stolen pay-per-view that I... And that's how I caught it for the first time. Because but you 19- definitely saw it like closer to 1992. I, oh, 19- yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was little. Yeah. And I just remember always liking it. Interesting. I did not see it until we prepared to do this show. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy also because I did see a lot of sports movies growing up. I was definitely a movie buff even at the time this came out. Like, And I saw many sports movies like Rudy and, you know, like... Sandlot, like a kid, definitely a kids movie. I feel like there were a lot more sports movies when we were kids. The Mighty Ducks, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw all of those in, in Rookie like, of the Year, Angels in the Outfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, absolutely, <laughs> Ladybugs. Oh, of course. Um, and I saw most of those in the theater. And I don't think I particularly avoided this for any reason other than I just really did not like baseball. Or maybe uh, you were a misogynist and you couldn't handle a sports movie about women. Well, obviously, I have a burning hatred of women, but that wouldn't keep me from watching 
watching a movie. Okay. And I had many friends growing up who I knew liked this movie. It was just never a movie that would get popped on, like, at sleepovers or parties or things like that. You went to the wrong sleepovers. I guess I went to the wrong sleepovers. If I could do it all again, I would go to different sleepovers. It's the one thing you would change about (laughs) your past. It's the one. (laughs) What were they playing at your sleepovers that was better than this? It was more like we were trying to do, like, Bloody Mary or any of the kind of mirror-based uh. shenanigans that, <laughs> that were popular that at the time. I mean a lot of things, but we are going to move on. Uh, like Becky, I don't remember first seeing this movie, but I do have a strong memory of watching it in either, like, late junior high or early high school with my friend Kim. But I only remembered it because... Once I was watching it for this podcast, I remembered all these lines that we used to say to each other, but I did not remember where they had come from. So there were things like Tom Hanks says, we're going to win in this kind of weird voice. We're going to win! Yes, it's exactly like that, and I did not want to do that. So thank you, (laughs) Becky, for taking the lead on Mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm the podcast impressionist. Yes. She's the Jim Carrey of our our operation. Smoking! The woman of a thousand audio faces. (laughs) So I didn't remember specifically this movie. I more remembered laughing mm-hmm. with the movie and enjoying the ridiculousness. The, uh, the red hat quote was another one that mm-hmm. I had not remembered was from this movie. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I, I remember making fun of that. But I, I'm pretty sure that I enjoyed like Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna. I enjoyed Rosie O'Donnell at this time and as a comic relief person in, in several films, such mm-hmm. as Another Stakeout and uh, The Flintstones. I definitely saw Flintstones in the theater, but never saw another stakeout. I Exit to Eden, is. another R-rated movie that, that little like Becky, Becky saw yeah. <laughs> on pay-per-view. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys, if there is a movie that featured some kind of bondage sequence. Guys, if it was on pay-per-view between the years of 1990 and 1993, I saw it. <laughs> Regardless of rating. <laughs> In 1987, Kelly Kandel and Kim Wilson made the Emmy-winning PBS documentary, A League of Their Own, and wrote the story for the movie. Mm. Kelly's mother was Helen Callahan, who played the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which is a mouthful, from the time (laughs) it began in 1943 until 1949. Although she was Canadian, her sister Margaret was also drafted by the league. Helen had five sons, no daughters. Her son Kelly remembers looking forward to the annual Powder Puff game in his California hometown, created by the town dads, in which the men would all laugh at the town mothers playing like girls. But Kelly had what no one else had, a mom who played professional baseball. People used to argue, oh, you mean softball, but no, he meant hardball, stealing, sliding, real baseball. So I really like that story because... I've rarely, if ever, heard of a son looking up to his mother as an athlete, but I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's nice. Um, And you can definitely feel that love, I think, throughout the movie of just, it it has that whole beginning and end sequence of looking back on it, and it it has a lot of nostalgia in it. Uh, The league itself was founded by Philip K. Wrigley. Team names included the Springfield Sallies, the Grand Rapids Chicks, and the Kalamazoo Lassies. Ah, how empowering. So much agency. (laughs) The Cincinnati women who are definitely in control of their destinies. (laughs) (laughs) The league was dissolved in 1954, and uh, in this past year, the uh, baseball hosted its first all-girls youth baseball tournament. So there was a big lag in there of when uh, actual baseball for women was a thing. 
Well, I think this is a really interesting movie to discuss because it has some of the biggest names of the 90s in it, as Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, and even Rosie O'Donnell was a pretty big deal at the time. Just a huge comic. And these are all people that I think we're likely to talk about on this podcast, like, many times. But I thought I would just catch us up on where all these people were in their careers. So Gina Davis had just starred in Thelma and Louise in 1991. She won an Oscar in 1989 for The Accidental Tourist and was nominated for Thelma and Louise but lost to Jodie Foster. So I would say that this was probably the peak of Gina Davis's career, too. Tom Hanks was not yet an Oscar winner. He was on his way out of The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, Joe versus the Volcano. So this was kind of a transitional role for him into that Oscar-y prestige movies that he did. And was this after Big as well? Yes. Okay. He was well nominated. He was nominated Best Actor for Big. Oh, was he? Mm-hmm. Hmm. His next movies after this were Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, and Toy Story, all in a row. So Wow, that definitely was his <laughs> turn into drama, damn. Yeah, so he was not slouching. Madonna had released Vogue in 1990 and Justify My Love in 1991. Her album Erotica was released a couple months after this movie. In the 90s, she had also starred in Dick Tracy and Truth or Dare, her own documentary, mm-hmm. I guess. It's a documentary. Okay. So this was kind of the height of her career, or at least one of many heights of her career. And Lori Petty was in Point Break. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So, like, really just getting started. Yeah. So the film was directed by Penny Marshall, who had made uh, Big, as we just mentioned. For whatever reason, I didn't know that was her movie. I mean, I think we'll probably have to do an episode on that. Well, I actually just, I watched A League of Their Own and Big the same day because I was on a plane and I finished A League of Their Own. And then I was like, what else is on this plane? And Big was. And I was like, well, great. I'll watch Big. It is amazing. Spoiler for our future podcast. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'll just restate it if we ever do Big. But oh my God, every moment of that movie is perfect. And Penny Marshall's direction is fantastic. I've never seen it. (gasps) Future episode. Spoiler, you're gonna love it. <laughs> and this movie was written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. That's right. <laughs> Babalu! Seth has been waiting for me to say that name. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we covered... waiting. You didn't want to give him credit where credit is due. You wanted to say his name out loud. <laughs> That's really it. Honestly, I think he's Howie Mandel's brother. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Gans and Babalu Mandel also wrote Splash, City Slickers, and Parenthood. Oh, so they were also not slouching. Nobody in this movie was not doing the best work. Everyone of their had great posture and <laughs> was fully upright, creatively speaking. I love those movies. Yeah. Yeah, really excellent. Really, like we could literally do a podcast yeah. on every single thing that everyone yeah. <laughs> from this movie it's ever true. did. So the tryouts for this movie were held on the USC campus. Tryouts? Or auditions. <laughs> well, they were tryouts because they made them do baseball. But by them, you mean the um, the, the actor- extras, or you actually mean like Madonna? All of the extras, except for Gina Davis, who is terrible at baseball and got to do it at like Penny Marshall's house or something. <laughs> but everyone else, every other actress who is in the movie, had to come try out and actually play baseball. Oh wow! Okay. They didn't actually get to go on to see Penny Marshall until they could prove that they could play at least some baseball, except Gina Davis, because I guess she was. A- <laughs> Oscar-winning star, and you can get Gina, away with that. Gina had a special arrangement. <laughs> uh, although Madonna's character did have to be moved from third base to outfield because she was kind of struggling with the game. <laughs> She's <laughs> a wonder, like you. It is the only time Madonna had trouble getting to third base. Oh. oh. I was saving that one that for pretty, you guys. That was pretty good. Yeah, it's thanks. no Babalu Mandel, but fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the women in this movie spent eight hours a day, six days a week for seven months training on baseball. So they're actually doing it, you guys. Was there crying in that? I think there was no crying. I'm, I'm pretty oh, wow. sure it was disallowed. That wasn't in the budget, I guess. I heard that Rosie O'Donnell was actually really good. Like, At baseball? Yeah, like really, really good. And like the whole cast and crew were actually like really impressed with how good she was. Oh, that's interesting. I had not heard that, but I know that she originally auditioned for the Marla role, Marla Hooch, which mm. I think you could see. But um, they liked the uh, Megan Cavanaugh, who actually played Marla so well. But they also really liked Rosie, so they wrote this role for her. It's great. I have a hard time figuring out how they would have done the movie without Rosie O'Donnell's character because otherwise Madonna's just talking to herself the whole movie. She probably had another friend, but they turned Maybe. it into like a Staten Island type. That makes sense. Yeah. There's, yeah, she probably just didn't have as much dialogue and then they right. made it like a big thing for Rosie O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. I would like to um, show you guys <laughs> the poster <laughs> from this movie. It's not the American poster, but it was the UK poster. Is Gary poster. Marshall on it? No. This is the poster. And, and where? In the... Whoa. Oh my God. Okay, for those who can't see this because you're not in the room with us, it is just a pair of legs. It is a pair oh, of oh. legs and a baseball bat. And heels. She has kicked off her high heels to put on... Well, I mean, I don't know if she put on those shoes right she's, there. She's wearing, like, sneakers, but there's a pair of high heels next to her sneakers. So this wow. is a UK poster, you say? Yes. Yeah. And that's... the tagline is, once in a lifetime, you get a chance to do something different. Oh, God, that is a really I, offensive poster. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have a head. No. It literally doesn't even make her a human. And this is also, like, the movie takes place in the 40s, and so I feel like this looks like a modern poster. Yeah. Like, those oh, heels don't yeah. feel like... It, it's very strange. But the actual poster in the United States was not... No, it's just <laughs> not so faces bad. and, like, a baseball diamond or something, mm-hmm. right? So let's get into the movie, you guys. What did you think? It's a Excuse me, that's not a baseball uniform. Yeah, what do you think we are, ball players or ballerinas? That's <laughs> <laughs> a Sure. I'm gonna have to squat in that thing. I can't wear that. My husband will kill me. Ladies! Right now there are 38 girls getting train tickets home who'll play in a bathing suit if I ask them. Oh, there's no pockets for my cigarette. <laughs> there is no smoking. There is also no drinking and no men. All of your social engagements will be cleared through your team chaperones. Plus, each of you will have regular classes at Charm and Beauty School. For what? <laughs> I think that this movie is perfect. I have absolutely no complaints. I, I, All right. Bye, I, Becky. Bye. bye. See you next episode. I think it's perfect. I enjoyed watching it so much. It it made me cry in parts. It made me laugh out loud in parts. Oh, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> I Well, there is because I teared up at certain parts. I just, I loved absolutely every second of it. I thought it was well-directed, well-written, well-acted. It was perfect. For a first time around, I went in with very few preconceived notions. I don't even think I'd ever really seen an eclipse from this movie. Had you heard the There's No Crying in Baseball? I, I had read the line. I had seen the line in oh, writing. Wow. Um, just anecdotally, this was one of the American Film Institute's top 100 quotes, mm. um, where they kind of decided on a list of 100 of the best lines in movie history. Um, so I knew that this was one of them, but I had literally no idea of the context for it. It's not a good line on its own. Like, you have to see this. This performance. Yeah. Going right into it, 
I think this movie is fucking fantastic. I think it is by far one of the best sports movies that I've ever seen, but that's saying almost nothing. This is one of the most feminist movies I have ever seen by a very wide margin. The level of care that this movie takes to establish the ways that these women's lives are limited, um, to characterize and show us how they kind of find themselves through playing baseball together, and also the degree to which they know that after this is done, they will still only be seen as women by the time period in American society that this is a a look at. Um, We're all just so impressive, so carefully characterized and so well realized by all the actresses. You'd expect Madonna to kind of steal the show in a bad way, but she, she disappears. Does it in a good she way. does it in a good way. Oh, see, she, I don't I actually thought that she did not stand out and in a way I was kind of happier with that I know what you mean. I just mean she's she does like have great moments in this movie. Oh, absolutely. But I think that I see them as like her character, not Madonna is in exactly. A movie. No, and I was genuinely impressed by that. I mean, I and I've liked Madonna's performances in other movies, but not just, all of them probably. <laughs> not all of them, surely. Um, but I mean, from from the top all the way on down. I mean, just start with Gina Davis. Like her character Dottie is just the fucking best, and. There's so much going on with her character, There is so much going on with all of these characters, even the ones that have some of the least screen time, just really show that they have an interior world, that they are conflicted even about how much they want to be a part of this sport. Um, And I think Gina Davis's character is the most complex. I love how divided her character is about whether she even likes baseball. And honestly, like, if you watch this movie and don't cry, I don't think you're a fucking human being. (laughs) Like, there are... There's no crying in baseball. But there are... There is crying in baseball movies, uh, apparently. Because I, there were multiple moments in this movie where I just totally lost it. And I mean, like, especially at the end when you see the real women mm-hmm. on which this movie is based and you see them playing another final round of maybe final round of baseball together. I have three words to describe my reaction to this movie. They are some of the gayest words I've ever said. <laughs> Madonna is fantastic. <laughs> oh, God. Grabbed. Gra- Grabbed. Her. Mm-hmm. Milky? Milky? What? What? Milky what? May, what are you giving her to read? Oh, what difference does it make? She's reading, okay? That's the important thing. Now go away. Go. Shoot. Shoot. Go ahead, Shirley. You're doing good. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Milky. What? Bread. It gets really good after that. That's what you walked away with? (laughs) That's that's it? That is not it, but that was my primary takeaway from watching this movie again. Because Madonna has gotten kind of a bad rap for more recent films that she has done. Some backstory. You love Madonna. I do. Like, her music. You are a big fan. I am a big fan of, yes, Madonna as a, like, pop icon. Mm -hmm. Chris has a tattoo of Madonna's face on his face. (laughs) (laughs) But which era Madonna would it be? Oh, all of them. It's just... just I have all of her faces in a ring around (laughs) my face. Depends on which part of your face you're talking about. Uh, No, I mean, I just... 
I expected her to kind of like Seth was saying, stand out more as like, oh, this is Madonna stunt casting. And instead, I was really surprised that she felt very believable as this character. And in a way, I think she's the promiscuous one, I guess. And she is also, I think, one of the better players. So I think in a lot of ways, she's not the main character of the movie, but she's kind of the strongest, I don't know, icon in this movie, I feel like. She's... The I don't know. Most I, feminist character, I guess. I think she may be like the brassiest dame other than Rosie O'Donnell's character. And they plague uh, so well off each other, yeah. the two of them. Yeah, I, and I wouldn't want to say that she's stronger or weaker than any other character, but it just really stood out to me how little she stood out <laughs> and, and how she definitely wasn't chewing the scenery and just felt like a, an organic part of the team. Yeah, this movie passes the saxophone test. <laughs> As mentioned in the Jim Carrey podcast. No woman enters a scene no, with a saxophone. No women can just walk into rooms with no saxophones playing. Who knew? In 1992. Penny Marshall had a no saxophone writer in her contract. I think Madonna is perfect in this movie. Yeah, I think she should have been Oscar nominated for this movie. I would say no, just because, again, I don't think her part was big enough. But, like, I don't... But was this movie nominated for Oscars? It was nominated for zero Oscars. And that's what is so funny just about time. It's just, like, the year this came out, it probably wasn't showy enough to get Oscars. But, like, it has stood the test of time, and it probably holds up better than so many of the movies that came out that year that were nominated for Oscars or won. And it's just... It holds up so well. You would never think that was this was made in 1992. And it's a period movie, but it's so classically filmed that there's nothing 90s stylistically about it that would make you think, oh, this is a 90s movie. Yeah, so just to give the Oscars some context, this was the year that A Few Good Men, The Crying Game, Howard's End, and Scent of a Woman were winning a lot of the Oscars. And for supporting actress, I think there are a lot of like really great supporting roles in here. Like you could nominate three or four of these women probably for an Oscar. But the winner of that year was Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny, which is kind of a similar role to Madonna's role in this, honestly. It's comedic. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also um, an underdog. Like Mm -hmm. people didn't think she was going to win. Yeah. Let's just go to the beginning of the movie. I thought it was really interesting how it starts with you see little boys playing basketball. It's almost like redirecting you to like, here's some little boys, but we're going to talk about these women instead. And I thought that was really fun how uh, older Gina Davis, who was another actress, and I didn't even remember that, like that she was actually another actress with the ADR of Gina Davis. Like, Yeah, it was freaky. Yeah. I had like a quadruple take where I was like, wait, is she just in old makeup? But ultimately, <laughs> she does it was like a lot like Gina Davis. She looks a lot like Gina Davis. so much like Gina really Davis. like personifies the ADR? her well. And the ADR is fantastic. Yeah, the ADR yeah. was really no, good. It was a... Um, but I love when she says to her, she says to the older nephew, like, that's your little brother. You got to give him a shot, you know, give him a chance to play. And then she she uh, ushers over the younger uh, nephew and says, kill him. <laughs> and I thought that was a really under the radar, uh, almost foreshadowing of her relationship with her sister. I could see that. I don't know if I'm sold on the Titanic-esque <laughs> Uh, structure of this movie looking back. <laughs> oh, I love it. An old lady like reminiscing on 
the, the heart times. of the ocean. Do you know why I love it? Because I think it's important. Because I think the arc of this movie is that she has to realize how much this time in her life meant to her and how important it was. And it takes her her entire life to realize that. Because even, you know, when she's planning to go to this reunion of sorts like this um opening of yeah, she the, doesn't want to go she doesn't want to go and she's like it didn't really mean that much to me why should i go you know maybe she's a little scared to see her sister maybe she's scared to confront the past but i think that her arc is realizing just how incredible that time was and how important it was not just to other women but like to her and for some reason that was her hang-up her whole life is is being able to admit this means something to me so it really means something to me watching that that it took her decades. It wasn't like at the end of her year uh, of her season doing it, she realizes this. It took her her entire life to be able to recognize that. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to know more about why that is. I mean, it's it's very interesting to me that she's someone who obviously feels the need to fulfill a role in a certain way. She's living up to the expectation of the time that she's going to be a wife and she's going to support her husband and she's not going to do her own thing and kind of cause the chaos that it would be if she were, you know, on the road all the time. But from this movie, I don't ever quite get whether or not that's something that she actually wants or, like, does she really love her husband so much that she really does not care that much about baseball or does she wish that she could do that but feel like she can't because of the times i think it's the third i think that she comes to well i i think it's the third but depending on which time period we're talking about so i think that at the end of her time with that team like at the very end once she's done with it she now at least sees that it's been a valuable experience for her and that it's helped her to be on that team she wishes she could stay with it but she does feel like she needs to take on the role of a mother take on the patriarchal role of being the homemaker i do think that becky's right though and has really good insight about how the present day scenes are used as a framing device but not just as a framing device but to change the way that gina davis's character thinks about it to the point where I think by the end of the movie, she does, the the more modern day Dottie, does think that not only was it a valuable time for her, but that she was an important force for pushing that forward. And that she had a role that was important independent of her as a homemaker and as a woman at home. I don't really get that from the framing device, though. Like, it feels very... Obviously, they have the real players there, and that that nostalgia is nice, but I don't really get much of a story from her character or that actress. It just kind of feels like, hey, look, it's all these old characters again, and now they're old. See, I feel like it's subtle, but it's there. Like, when she's just looking out at everybody, and she hugs her sister then, I just, I, I feel like it isn't spelled out for you, and you do have to think about it a little bit. I thought that there could be a lot more meat in those scenes. They felt very kind of more like a documentary footage of the actual reunion than it felt like an actual scene from a movie. It's interesting that it played that way for you, because for me, the fact of seeing the real women there and seeing them play made it emotionally hit home so much harder. 
I mean, I'll admit that it took me some time to put myself in the mindset of being okay with seeing how horribly these women were treated and how much their lives were obviously limited. I had a period of adjustment having to get used to the time period. Uh, Again, ultimately, I saw as one of this movie's great strengths in the writing and the directing and in the cast. I thought it was very sensitive to not excuse the way that these women limited their imagination of themselves because it went very methodically, not just in terms of them being female athletes, but even in terms of not getting compensated for fairly in terms of the way that their kind of labor as women was commodified and they kept being reminded how like, oh no, we're paying you to be pretty out here. We're not paying you to be amazing athletes. And also the money that you're being paid for this is only happening this one season. And when the men come back, I'm shutting this down because I don't want to waste money on this. Like in in so many ways, the kind of parameters and walls around these women's imaginations are very clearly delineated. But I think as a contrast to other kinds of sports movies like Remember the Titans. I don't think that this movie is setting this up to pat us on the back and say that like everything is better now. I think a lot of the things that it talks about in the ways that these women, even to the present day, were kind of held back and were kept in a box in one way or another, I think those things carry through to modern times. So I thought the way that Becky did that bringing in the present day did add a level to the storytelling. I liked bringing in the present day. I just don't think the way that it was done was especially effective. It kind of just felt like, look, it's me. Look, it's me. We're all old now. Like, there wasn't a lot of actual meat to those scenes that I would have preferred. And I guess the big moment is her reuniting with her sister. But I didn't... When she left her sister back in the 40s, it seemed like... They were on okay terms. So it, it seemed, it was odd to me. I was like, has she not seen her sister most of this time? Or does this it's family little, know her sister? It's a little vague. Yeah. It, sure, it surely is. But I, I felt like at the end, I felt satisfied, even if I don't know every single detail. Because mm. it seems like um, Kit's family knew who she was. So it wasn't like, you know, they spent decades apart. Right. They were like, hi, Aunt Dottie, um, or Grandma Dottie, or whatever they said. <laughs> I don't remember. But then, so then why was it like a big it, deal? I think it was emotional. I got the feeling that she didn't celebrate this for decades. And maybe she didn't celebrate this in her life ever. And that hug and being there was her saying, like, I did something great. Well, I mean, I feel like that could have been more effective if we got the sense that older Kit had been known as this ball player and her grandkids were all like super proud of her. And Dottie had always taken a step back from that. And then we see like this moment where it's like, oh, I was part of this too. And like, they're both, they're celebrating the both of them or something. Like, I just feel like there was a lot more room to make that a real statement. And it just kind of felt sure flat <laughs> to me. What I really loved about this movie was that the real story is the sisters, is Kit and Dottie and their relationship. Even from the very beginning, you got a sense of their relationship from, you know, the first baseball game they play that's like a local one for their dairy farm. And uh, Dottie is trying to give her sister advice and the sister doesn't want to take the advice. And she's... Because she likes the high ones. Yeah. And she's resentful that her sister doesn't care but is so good at something and so effortlessly good at something that Kit tries so hard to be good at. And it's just exemplified in the way of them like walking next to each other and then Kit starts walking fast and then Dottie starts walking fast. And I love that this movie gives 
their relationship time to breathe and it gives them they don't have to say to each other i'm mad at you i'm (laughs) i'm i'm a rival of yours like (laughs) you know i'm jealous like they don't have to say that you you get a sense of that from their behavior and the movie isn't like quick 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 let's get to the next scene let's get to the next game it allows relationships to breathe and you can see um how they are on screen I yeah, Beck I totally agree with Becky's point and and actually what Becky just explained is part of why the present day scene where she and her sister are reunited actually really hit hard for me because knowing so well and feeling how their rivalry was and how much of their relationship was based on competing with each other um especially on the part of Kit the younger sister um it it made it feel really natural to me that they would then after this time in the baseball team together that they might be apart for a long time because it made sense that Lori Petty's character um who kind of realizes in the course of this movie uh how she has to kind of you know separate in a way from um from Dottie um it makes sense that they would be apart for a very long time um and so i really felt it as genuine when they finally get back together at the end of the movie but uh, again like I, I said earlier like i think this is one of the most feminist movies i've seen i think this is one of the best and most thorough and just really well considered depictions of a sister relationship that i've ever seen in a movie mm-hmm. it just really it took me by surprise in the best way Yeah, I like that there is a focus on the sisters. I think a much more obvious way to go with this movie would have been some kind of romantic relationship, which was actually cut out of the movie. Thankfully. Yeah. Thank God. There was a lot more between um, Dottie and Jimmy, who is Tom Hanks' character. I hate that because I I do like that Dottie loves her husband, Mm -hmm. and they have a strong relationship, and I think that really does add to her being, you know... uh, having some struggle with leaving the game that she's come to love because she really does love her husband and is scared, you know, of him dying and she wants to be with him. And I feel like if they didn't have a strong relationship, there would be, it would be like, well then stay (laughs) be with the manager that you, that you love in this version of the movie and play your game that you love. I think that's actually what like some people wanted them to end up together. And I think that was a possible ending for the movie. No, I think that would have totally tarnished it. Um, And I think the flip side of what you're saying is also true, Becky, where the lack of an overt romantic connection between Dottie and Jimmy, I think, makes it just all the all the stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, Their kind of tension with each other between each other really helps drive their uh, their urge to kind of push the team forward. Yeah, I do agree that having a romance between Jimmy and Dottie would have kind of muddied the water for Dottie's passion for baseball because you'd be wondering like, oh, does she miss him mm-hmm. or does she miss baseball? And in the current version of the movie, there's really not enough between her and him to even think like, oh, maybe she's just, you know, no, like in love with him. He's not, there's nothing to like. There's maybe something to respect. And that's where they reach a point that they both respect each other. But mm-hmm. as far as like romance, like they'd have to completely rewrite that character of Tom Hanks's. So I do, I do think that it's very feminist, as Seth said, that this movie allows the female relationship to be the centerpiece of the movie and doesn't need 
to kind of complicate that with another like romantic subplot, even though they originally had that in the script and shot a lot of that stuff. The original cut of this movie was four hours long. <laughs> wow. And there was a lot of what? there was a lot wow. of stuff <laughs> that they cut out. Did so they actually did they reshoot no, anything? I don't think they reshot anything. So somewhere in this movie, there was them like kissing or being romantic. Yes. That's so crazy because it feels like a perfectly cut. I mean, movie. did she? So in the in the longer, more com- complicated version of this, did uh, Dottie's husband come back from the war alive? So yes. like, did did her entanglement with Tom Hanks' character Jimmy did that end in this movie? I think it was just supposed to be a lot more complicated because she had, Mm. at some point, they kiss. I can't remember exactly where they kiss in this movie, but, oh, it's, I think it's right before she decides that she's going to leave town or, so, yeah, there's a lot more. I'm so glad that did not happen. That makes no sense to me that that was even, yikes, that they even shot it. I mean, maybe that's why they cut it out because maybe it wasn't convincing, but um, there was also a scene where Marla Hooch is pregnant and still playing baseball and then Dottie, like, runs into her and knocks her over. Oh, no! Like, she gets taken off of the field in a stretcher and that's why she's crying when her (laughs) husband comes back to her. What? So there's, like, all this, like, stuff between these scenes that happened in the other cut of this movie that just did not happen in Well, snaps to the editor of this movie, (laughs) because, oh my god, I would never in a million years have guessed any of that. I mean, I think we learned with the Alien quadrilogy that watching the extended director's (laughs) cut is not always the best presentation of a film. I do think it's a good time to emphasize some of the supporting characters in the movie. I I have heard of Marla Hooch. I've heard people talk <laughs> about Marla Hooch That's a before. name right there. It's a hell of a name, <laughs> but I love this character so much. I love this actress. I don't know if I've seen her in things before or since, really. Her introduction is so good. Her introduction is absolutely classic. She's, like, looking down, and then she looks up with those eyes, like, underneath her, like, baseball hat and, like, her hair and... Well, and she's the Marla Hoochiest Hooch. And <laughs> her whole introductory scene takes place in tryouts for this team. And her father, who's clearly just like a a sports dad. But I love her dad. And um, oh, that relationship is so nice. And that yes, that made me cry. Absolutely. <laughs> it made me cry too. And it was and it was just like one scene and it was over very quickly. But the the kind of sincerity in the sense that these characters exist outside the page and outside of just the confines of the one or two scenes that you see them in. Like, this is a testament to the writing, to the direction. Babaloo. That's a Babaloo Mandel moment. Um, but I just love Marla Hooch. I love her moment the singing. Together, and get drunk as a teen. What is she singing? Um, it had to be you. It had to be you. She's <laughs> up on. They find her up on the stage drunk and singing standards like like a nightclub chanteuse. And that's how she meets her husband. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I thought there was such an effective economy with how they gave these characters stories and gave them um, things to do in the plot that revealed who they were as characters. Um, and I think that stands out among sports movies, but above and beyond that, it stands out as far as movies with female characters. There are more in number and more complicated and organic than really mo- almost any other movie I can think of. Another moment that totally makes me cry every time is the woman who can't read 
she doesn't know oh, if she's like already oh, like getting like Instant emotional. Tears. She Instant can't tears. she can't tell if she got drafted or not because she can't even read her own name. And then and, somebody comes up and helps her. And it's and and it's and it's done in such a way that does not call attention to itself. It doesn't play like an after school special. Mm-hmm. It's not a very special episode of a league of their own. I think that's because they allow the person who helps her to not be like the heroine of the movie. Like usually it would yeah, be like if, Gina Davis mm-hmm. being like, I'm gonna go help her. But this movie actually really does make a lot of room for the supporting cast, even though you don't necessarily know these characters by name or very much about them, but it gives a lot of them more moments to shine mm-hmm. and kind of lets Dottie be in the background a lot of the time. And I think even characters who don't get much of a character in the movie get their own like moments to really shine. So when they when they start up the team, they send along this really stodgy old woman named Mrs. Cuthbert She's to the be chaperone? There. The team chaperone. Who um, gets name-checked in their anthem. Because <laughs> the, there's a line about how our, their chaperones are not like too strict or too lenient. <laughs> and there's there's a great scene where, where the son of one of the players ends up kind of tagging along with Stuart the team. Stillwell Angel. Mr. Stillwell. <laughs> yeah, most Stillwell obnoxious Angel. child. Stillwell <laughs> Angel. Yeah, the most obnoxious child. So annoys the bus driver of the team's bus that the bus driver quits. I mean, he does literally blind the bus driver by putting his hands over his head <laughs> while the, the bus is in motion. But then the bus driver takes some mud, stuffs it in the chaperone's face, and then the chaperone gets back on the bus, and then Tom Hanks, like, drunkenly makes out with her, then, like, pretends to vomit. <laughs> like, this poor woman. It was hilarious. <laughs> and then she gets poisoned. It was so great. It was so great. We need a spinoff of Mrs. Cuthbert and what her experience was really like. <laughs> a league of her She's own. like, I hated every second of it. A Cuthbert above <laughs> I just I loved how this movie made moments for even the smallest characters. Oh, can we talk about John Lovitz? Yes, can we? John Lovitz with every single line is a quotable like favorite line of his. John Lovitz plays. Uh, oh Lovitz no, a- no, I love him in the movie. Gotta say something. He about was him. funny, but it feels like too broad to me. Where it's like every line is like a. Like, oh, I love it. I love I, it. I kind of side cl- more with Chris on this than with Becky. Um, John Lovitz plays Ernie Cappadino, the publicist for the team. And I do think that his is, of all the characters, I think his is the closest to a very overt performance without having much of a character. I love him. What does he say? Like, see, the thing is, the train leaves, not the station. Or they're funny <laughs> lines, but I just I feel like they're more like winking at the audience than they feel like he would yeah. really say no, that I love them. in the moment. I love it. Her catching the ball is so great and such an iconic moment moment of her just catching it without the mitt. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And and it's, again, there are, like, so many little touches that really, like, add life to these characters beyond just the moments. And that's really one of them. And that's also, I think, one of the things that connects the old Dottie to the new one. Well, I think that scene is really smart because it has this moment where Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell look at them and they're like, oh, what are you looking at? And it's like, oh, okay, so there's going to be like this rivalry. And then they do the catching of the ball and instantly it's like, oh, okay, no, you're awesome. <laughs> and that's <laughs> Maybe some of them like are going to get cut. It. Yeah, that's more <laughs> how it would be in real life. The movie is not about conflicts between these women. Like usually there'd be like a bitchy player or something. In a lot of movies there's, you know, those kinds of conflicts. And 
these women really are a team together, and I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, and they don't really showgirls it at any point. You know, it's not about. <laughs> Wait, bitch- what does that mean? <laughs> well, it's not about bitchy women pushing being, someone down the stairs. Yeah, exactly, being duplicitous and mm. sabotaging each other to try to gain advantage. Right, like their strength really comes from working together. That's what Kit thinks is happening with Dottie, like, oh, you said that so I'd be traded, but that's not what really is happening. She wanted to help her sister. I want to go back to Dottie's character, just because I think it's it's, this is when I was watching it as an adult rather than a child, like, just noticing all of this complexity with her character and the fact that she is so selfless, and she really is constantly doing things for other people. She goes to the bar to warn everybody, hey, you know, the the chaperone, whoever, the manager knows you're all out, like, better hurry back home. She does this just because her little sister wants to get out of town and, and have a shot at it. So she doesn't even want to leave town. She she wants to stay and work in the dairy farm and wait for her husband to come back from the war. And she only does it because she wants to help her sister. And it's just, she's constantly being blamed for holding Kit back, but she's not. She's trying in her way to constantly help her. And I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the ending. Do you think that she dropped that ball on purpose? Or do you think that that's just how it happened and she really was trying her hardest and accidentally dropped that ball that got Kit and her team the win. I think she was trying her hardest and that that was the moment when Kit's competitiveness really turned into her personally for herself striving to be the best she could. And that was the moment where her skill overpowered her older sister. For me, so much of the strength of their relationship is how it shows the two of them pushing against each other and pushing each other, um, but not showing that as exclusively a bad thing and also not showing it exclusively as a good thing. You see that so much of Kit's determination and fortitude and stamina to join this team and push herself is in competition with her sister. But I think that's the moment in the story where she finally finds her strength within herself that Kit finds within herself and not as a thing that she's trying to get over on her sister, even though that's the moment where she's directly going against her sister. Chris, what do you think? I was wondering about this. I kind of wish that scene was shot a little differently to give you an indication, maybe one way or the other. Like, you don't really see the faces at all, and you just see her hand kind of let go of this ball. So you have... I think that's deliberate. Probably, but it kind of brings me to my problem with this movie, to the extent that I have one. I mean, I think it's a very entertaining movie, but I don't find the Dottie character very compelling. I like a lot of what they're trying to do with her, but I don't find the ways that they actually use her that interesting. I find her very chilly in this movie. What? Kind of not, like a nothing kind of presence in a way. I don't get the nothing, but I get the chilliness Mm because she's kind of distanced from everyone else. So, like, the movie supposedly is about, especially in that scene where Jimmy kind of gives her the pep talk about how hard is what makes it great, is that, like, he sees this passion in her. I don't really see that passion in her. I see her as feeling kind of indifferent toward this, and she's just doing it because her sister wants her to do it, and I guess she's good at it, and whatever, 
but only because the war is on and only because of all of these factors. Like, this is not something that she's driven to do. And I think that could be an interesting story to explore, oh, a woman who wouldn't have otherwise even had this opportunity or pursued it gets this opportunity. But I just never saw her real passion for the game in this movie. Like, when she gives it up, I'm kind of like, yeah, you do seem like you're more into your husband. Like, I don't feel like that's a tragedy. Well, but don't you see how that is not just her character's internal struggle, that is her character bumping up against the walls that society has erected around her imagination? No, I don't. I want to see that. That's the story I want to see, but I don't feel like either her performance or the writing really give us a sense of her enough interior to say one way or the other what she really wants. I want to honor the ambivalence that you felt about that, because for much of the movie, I felt that same way, where I was never sure that Dottie had a genuine love for the game. But I did feel that her showing up at that reunion was a reflection of her having realized that at some point. But she also like didn't want to go to that reunion either. She had to be like prodded to do it by her daughter. Well, but see, she also didn't want to go to that final game, and Tom Hanks' character Jimmy also kind of has a moment of confronting her with, like, you you love the game. I don't, I don't remember the exact... Well, that's, why, that's what my problem is with her character, is that people are always, like, forcing her to do things or prompting her to do things, and it, I never get a sense of what she actually wants. I feel like she is conflicted the whole movie. Mm -hmm. That's why that ambivalence or the feeling that you're feeling, I don't mind it because that's what I feel like her character is. She's conflicted. She loves her husband. She likes her life. And she's doing these things because she wants to help her sister. She wants to help her team. And she, I think she does start to really like it because she's really good at it and i think that it is a conflict in her of of how much do i how much does this really mean to me and i think at the end her arc is it really means a lot and that's why the end really gets me is because that she finally realizes how much it meant to her but i also want to zoom back a little bit from becky's point because kind of what i'm getting at is that putting this story in this time period women of dottie's position would not have evaluated their lifestyle would not evaluate their activities based on what they felt they were good at. Literally, women weren't told, weren't taught from birth to pursue activities that they were good at for that reason. They weren't encouraged to join clubs or things based on what they were good at. They were encouraged to join things based on what would be best for their household, what would be best for the man in their lives, what would be best for them as a homemaker. So I think what Becky's getting at is really apt, and it's even a bigger picture thing than just Dottie, because so much of this movie is about women putting being put in a position where they're forced for the first time themselves to confront the idea that there are activities that they're good at just individually as people and that those are things that they could put their time toward um because the same kind of conflict plays out about work but again like in the context of this movie it's only in the context of just one season of baseball that they're getting paid for and there are lots of jokes in the movie about like oh when the men come back are we going to send them to work in the kitchens too like this is a much more carefully feminist movie Um, in the kind of political sense than I think we're giving it credit for and a much more feminist movie than I think really other feminist movies are, uh, than other feminist movies really are because it's 
talking in a much more detailed way about the conflict between what women are taught to enjoy and taught to want versus what actually makes them happy or fulfills them or any of that. But I don't see Dottie actually being happy playing this game. Like, I don't have a moment where I see her experiencing pure joy or something. I see that from the other characters. I feel like I remember, like, she does that split, um, you know? (laughs) And she's like, I don't know, like, and there's moments where she's, like, bonding with Tom Hanks' character. Um, I I feel like I have moments of that. There's there's never pure joy where it zooms in on her face and she's, like, crying of happiness, you know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of <laughs> want... It, not that moment exactly, but, like, something like that where I'm like, oh, this is really the moment of her life, and I don't feel like I ever get it. Like, when she's talking to Tom Hanks, she, I mean, it's fine that she loves her husband, but it always seems to me like she'd rather be back on the farm with her husband. And I would kind of like to see more of that conflict of oh, maybe I would rather be here, but I have to go back because that's what a woman is expected to do. And I don't get the sense that she, that it's really society that's telling her what to do. I mean, I do think that society has conditioned her to want basically to take care of her husband and be like a good wife. But I don't see another moment where she's really, really conflicted. Like, oh, this is what I actually want, but I have to go back to the farm. The first scenes when her husband comes back from war have that conflict. I will grant you this, Chris, that it's less explicit about any notion that for Dottie, baseball is life. You know, like, I, I will agree with you to the extent that I don't see that hit on the nose, you know, um... But I do think that the conflict that you're talking about not having seen was there. It was just more put in the context of, wow, my husband's back. I've really assumed that he's dead on the battlefield because it's been so long since Dottie had heard from him. Um, I think that that conflict has played out more in the context of her husband than it is in the context of her and baseball. I didn't actually see that much of it in there either. It just kind of seemed like, oh, she's glad he's back. I thought a really interesting way to go with this, they have the scene where the messenger comes and you know that someone on the team's husband has been killed in action. And that it scene basically, I cried yeah, it basically zooms in on two women. And so it's either Dottie or is it Betty Spaghetti? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Betty Spaghetti. So, um, and to me, that scene as it is in the movie played like, I don't know, Gina Davis, I feel like she's a little blank in it, but it's like, oh, I hope it's not my husband. And I thought it would have been kind of interesting. If it was like, she was maybe like, even like, oh, if my husband dies, like I can stay and play baseball and maybe this is the best thing for me. And then it's almost a really complicated disappointment, but also relief when she finds out that her husband is not the one who is killed. But I just think, like, something like that, like, that conflict where it's like, does she really want to be with her husband? I think there could have been more of that. I get that. I feel like these are two things that she wants, because I think that she really does love her husband Mm -hmm. and wants, she really wants children and really wants to, you know, after that scare where it might have been her husband and it's not, and he, the, the very next scene, she's crying and he comes back. So she's feeling, I gotta go now to be with my husband because, you know, my life has it. to go on. This is it. He's back. I can't, you know, deny being with him anymore. It's not like, oh, I have to go home with my husband. It's like, I love my husband. That's what she's thinking. And it's, she always, she never had any intention of 
of pursuing this baseball career. And also, she had never lived in a version of America where she could ever have imagined that she could have both. Because I agree with you, Becky, that I think she does love both baseball and very much loves her husband and does want to start a family. It would be more tragic for her if her husband was just some guy or, you know, it was just her husband. You didn't really feel any love for him. And she had to go to be with her husband because society tells her you have to have kids and be with your husband. But I didn't get that. I felt like this character really did love her husband and she was trying to deny herself that she would miss baseball because maybe she would feel guilty. Like, if I miss baseball, that means I don't really want to be with my husband. Like, there's some, like, inner guilt there that I picked up on. And I also picked up on an inner guilt about her even liking baseball. Like, she kind of, like, soft pedals it and her role in it to her husband at first until her husband sees her playing and sees, like, wow, no, she really is a leader in every single way. I don't know. To me, she felt not passionate enough about either her husband or baseball. She kind of felt indifferent. And I wonder if maybe because the movie was shot where there was more of a romance with Tom Hanks, if maybe she's like Gina Davis is playing more reluctance toward her husband than the actual movie tends to have. Um, Because I just don't. I don't see that from her and them. Like, he, their relationship seems really bland to me in this. Well, another moment that I wanted to call out uh, is there is a scene uh, where one of the players hits a foul ball. Mm, and yes. it's caught uh, kind of behind the fences by a young African-American woman. Um, yeah, that's and a really powerful she, moment. It's, a, and it's an incredibly powerful moment that... Again, I really kind of didn't expect because I like very much had the the time range, especially of these years in mind when watching mm-hmm. this movie. Um, but in that moment, uh, the young black girl catches the ball and rockets it uh, past Dottie and to the pitcher, and even hurts the hand of the pitcher when uh, when she's catching that foul ball back. And I thought it was such an effective scene it had almost no words in it at all um and you know that because of the time period in which the story is taking place that she's not someone who they could conceivably recruit to the team but you also immediately get the sense that if they had that she would have been the complete all-star of the team i love that Um, they put that scene in the movie i i love it and it's so powerful and it's so um again like so many of the other heavy moments of the movie for me. This was really not just pounded on the nose with really treacly dialogue. There's no or, dialogue, right? There's there's really almost no dialogue. She's like throw it here or something, all, you know, like, at yeah. all. Um and there's no like it's a look between the two. There's of, like, it's the literally just a look and there there's no sugarcoating music, none of that. And it's just such an effective cinematic moment that it really genuinely surprised me. Yeah. Something I love about this movie that no other sports movie has done for me ever. I liked watching the baseball scenes. <laughs> like I was excited. And I've seen maybe like three baseball games in my life, and I like am just there for like the group activity and the hot dogs. (laughs) Like, I don't care at all. But I was really into watching the baseball in this movie. And I really liked Tom Hanks' speech about um, the heart is what makes it great. And he's talking about how sports are important. And I think that's really interesting. And I felt that way at the end of the movie. And besides roller derby, like, I've never been on a sport. And I kind of, like, don't like sports. (laughs) But, like, I felt like 
that sports are important and have meaning not only just for the team but the people that watch them and the whole like struggle of becoming great and it really did convince me that 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 to to appreciate baseball for somebody that's not even a baseball fan well, I mean, for me, it was, I thought the sports scenes, the actual game scenes were incredibly well done because it kept it within the experience of each of the characters. And it so tied how they were acting and reacting to the game um, to who they were as characters. So it always kept it as a character-based thing rather than some plot thing that had to happen to them. And then also, what I really enjoyed about the baseball aspect of it is how it allowed uh, the development of the character interplay kind of between Dottie, Gina Davis's character, and Jimmy, Tom Hanks's character, because they're each trying to kind of be the boss of the team and each trying to kind of uh, direct the plays of the players as they go along. And they would have those, you know, complicated hand oh, yeah, signals that scene and is gestures. So awesome. They're both doing those. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I've known of that kind of thing, but obviously not being a sports guy and definitely not being a baseball guy, I had no idea what the hand signals meant, but it was just so again, completely honed into and tied to their characters that you don't need to know exactly what the hand signals mean. You just get it as an expression of their mm-hmm. character play between them. And I, I thought it was just really effective throughout the movie at using the sport to reveal characters rather than using the characters to kind of, you know, say something grand about the sport of baseball. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I <laughs> I find this movie really entertaining, and I think it works better sort of in the comedic moments than the dramatic moments. I really appreciate all of the supporting characters. I think, as we've said, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, a lot of the other actresses who are not like names that we know I think are really great and also really written very well. I feel for women who have like two lines in this movie. There are probably 10 characters of these women that I actually like have an emotional response to in this movie, which is a lot. And yet like Dottie and Kit don't really do it for me. Dottie's conflict is always so surface level for me and they never really get into enough of the meat of their sacrifice. And the relationship with Kit just feels very Marsha, Marsha, Marsha to me. Oh, man. On paper, I like the idea that they focused on the women and the sisters instead of, like, some kind of romance. But I don't know that the execution of it really hits home for me. Man. Sorry. I'm sorry you're heartless, <laughs> I'm sorry Chris. for you. I'm, I'm, it totally works for me on every level, so I don't know. <laughs> I did also, I like that this movie is a movie about regret, because I think that that is a rare thing to see. Almost every sports movie either ends in triumph or at least some kind of personal triumph. Like, oh, I'm part of the team now. And this is one of few movies where it's really... And these are what the... Like, the flash-forwards to the the present day or the 1992 present day give you is that she... Like, not only does she, like, mildly regret leaving this team in the moment, but 60 years later, she's still kind of regretting it. And she's, you get the sense like, oh, maybe she made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Like her life could have been better. Well, and, and, I, and I think even strong. if we, I think even if we won't agree, I, I think even if we won't all agree on where she ends up um, emotionally feeling about baseball at the end of the movie, I think we would all agree that by the end of the movie, she has had more of the scales pulled from her eyes and is closer in line to 
where we clearly watch the movie and we know that the movie itself is seeing all these barriers that have been put up in front of these women. And the movie itself is very cognizant of all the ways that these women have been limited. And I, I don't know, like, I would you f- agree that by the end of the movie, Dottie's character at least has had m- more awareness and consciousness of the ways that all of her choices were kind of, that she was going along with things that were dictated to her? Yes, she seems yeah. bitter. <laughs> I think sports movies tend to be pretty formulaic, and I like that this one is about someone who gives up, basically. That's really not the message of hardly any sports movie that I can think of. It's always, like, the character has a moment where, oh, I'm not going to go back. And then they show up at the end game, Mm -hmm. and then they're going to, like, go on and, like, play and be a huge star. And instead, it's like, we kind of have that moment, but then she's like, oh, yeah, but I am giving up. And I think that's so much more realistic about where women were in this time. I mean, this league did last for, I think, something like nine years. I think it was like 10 or 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. But then it it eventually was dissolved. And women playing actual baseball is not something that we hardly ever see anymore. So to have the movie be too triumphant, I think, would be disingenuous. And so I do like that this is a movie that kind of says, oh, yeah, this was a great moment for women. And then it was kind of taken away from them. And... Then they all had to go back and raise their kids and be wives to their husbands and, you know, not stand out, not be the stars of their lives, but to kind of let men be the stars. And so I just wish that Dottie's character exhibited that a little bit more in the movie. Instead, I find her so removed from the conflict, really. I mean, she just doesn't seem like she cares that much either way to me. I... I and that's, I think, where I specifically disagree, is I don't think it's that she doesn't care. I think it's that she knows that what she individually wants and that what individually fulfills her is never going to be what she experiences as her real choice. That I, I don't think she... I think she sees that she doesn't live in a society or in a time period where she can make that choice for herself only. I think that's kind of there. I just would have liked to see a little more of it, I guess. Did you guys like Tom Hanks? Yes, I was actually really surprised going back to this movie because I knew he was in it and I didn't remember to what extent. I had no I, I had no memory that he was an alcoholic or that he was kind of a very dislikable character in the beginning of the movie. So, yeah, that really surprised me to see him playing kind of a jerk and to see him not really have an arc in this movie. Like, his character doesn't really have an evolution at his, all. His arc is that he respects the women. Kind yeah. of. But, like, a, all, the movie because doesn't really make big, broad strokes toward that. Like, it cares more about the women's story and doesn't give Tom Hanks, like, a big moment. Oh, see, I, I, di- I disagree with that. He becomes the team's leader. I, I think what changes is not the core of Tom Hanks. I think what changes is Jimmy opening his heart to the idea that women are good at baseball and can be good at baseball and that his input as a player would be valuable to them. I, I think it's also, like, because I think in some part the story at least from his perspective, from Jimmy's perspective, is finding some value for himself because he's been a kind of sports celebrity, and that's a thing that can leave you feeling very empty. Um, But in those women, he sees uh, actual potential, and he recognizes that actual potential. Yeah, and the the movie ends with him being offered a job in some other state, you know, managing a male baseball team when the men come back from war, and he's like, I didn't take it, I already have a job. 
which is a really subtle way to say that, like, no, I'm going to stick with these women and manage these women, and I respect them as athletes. Yeah, I was really blown away by Tom Hanks' performance. Um, so funny, Becky. Like, you've been you've been responsible for introducing me to some of my very favorite Tom Hanks performances. Oh yeah, oh the um, Lady Killers. Yeah, one in Lady so Killers, um, and the other very much in this. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Oh. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball! Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris! Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! What's the matter, Jimmy? What? She's crying, sir! I thought his performance was captivating because his character is an asshole, an absolute to the core asshole. The as like I was saying earlier, like not knowing the context of the there's no crying in baseball speech. I think that in that moment, uh, his character Jimmy is absolutely despicable. Yeah. I mean, he's abusive and so genuinely funny. toxic and also hilariously funny. I think that's a volatile mix that, like so many things in this movie, I was just so surprised that it could have played out so broad, but it was so organic and deeply felt and fully realized that I, I just really felt, again, like this was an incredibly strong ensemble movie, and Tom Hanks very much kept up. I'm surprised he didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I'm very, I'm very surprised. Because maybe all the women would cancel each other out as far as being nominated, and he's, like, the standout guy. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised. Although it would be kind of sad if like, right. <laughs> he was the only nominee you for like this movie. You mean, like, Creed with Sylvester Stallone, the one white guy yeah, in that movie full of... pretty much like yeah. that. <laughs> I don't mind that Tom Hanks doesn't have, like, these huge, broad moments, because I think there are a lot of... And they're actually, literally, this movie exists many times where there's a white guy who comes into a team of minorities or women or whatever, and the movie's really about him and his redemption. And this movie easily could have done that. And instead, this movie kind of avoids that and lets the real transformation happen with Dottie and Kit. And his is there, but it's subtle. I might have liked a little bit more of transition of from asshole to respecting the women because I'm not sure what led to that transition exactly. I think that probably a lot of that is what happened between him and Dottie and was cut from the movie. I thought it was Dottie when she like does that split and he like takes notice like, wow, she's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just slowly over like the course of a montage of them playing and offering uh, chewing tobacco to Dottie and then the moment where he actually has to be like a father figure and announce to Betty Spaghetti that her uh, her <laughs> it ruins an emotional moment when you call Betty, her Betty Spaghetti that her like hu- like he has to like like shove Mr. Spaghetti has been <laughs> he, has to, he has to shove that rude that rude guy from the government out and yeah. take the letter and That's I'm, a great scene. I'm sorry That's to tell scene. you Mr. Spaghetti has been sauced <laughs> <laughs> I think that it happens scene by scene by scene. 
There isn't like one thing. I found it to play out really organically. Um, And I don't think that the changes in these characters are huge, visible internal changes. It's not like their entire internal moral compass gets switched around, which I think would make a movie like this play out in, in an overly broad and unbelievable way. I think what changes in these movies is that these characters reveal themselves to each other and reveal each other to themselves. And in the course of that, it doesn't change the whole world that they live in, but it does force them to a place of awareness and consciousness of of where they are and of what genuinely makes them happy. Again, in a way that I just don't think most sports movies even try to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm mostly with you guys. I Most of this movie works for me, and I definitely enjoy watching it moment to moment. It's mostly the Dottie character that falls a little bit short for me, but it's not short enough that I don't think the movie works. It's just kind of seeing opportunities that might have been a little bit stronger and said a little bit more. Um, I have a question for you guys. Do you like the title of this movie? Yeah, I do. I don't like it. I just find it a little too... On the nose? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really good title for the documentary. It's the same title. I I think it's fantastic. It sounds to me like something you'd hear on a newsreel. These small bettys (laughs) make a league of their own. I I love it. Tonight on the Nickelodeon. It's it's wordplay. I think it's good. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) Um, And finally, I just want to shout out Gary Marshall, who clearly just wandered onto the set and started (laughs) improvising, and they just filmed it and went along with it. He just came on his sister's set, and he's like, I'm part of this now. (laughs) Yeah, again, I I, I genuinely loved just every part in this movie felt like it had to be there. Um, and I felt like every character deserved to be there and had moments that made them feel real, whether they were, you know, really the key movers of the story or not. Yeah, I I do think that the women are just written so well that it's not like this kind of girl and that kind of girl. Right. Like they contain I mean, multitudes. <laughs> you know, Madonna's kind of like the promiscuous character, and there is a beauty queen, but it's not. They're just not written in this like the way that you would expect them to be written. I want to just give an extra shout out to Penny Marshall because I thought the directing in this was just so like, just so wonderfully done and subtle, but there were shots that were just like so meaningful. And, and I, as I said, I watched big recently and I felt the exact same way that I thought this, it was just so wonderfully shot. Everything felt so pitch perfect the way that the actors were directed. She hasn't really done much. (laughs) Yeah, it makes me wonder why she didn't do a lot more movies. She did Big Awakenings, A League of Their Own. Oh, Awakenings is great. Uh, I did not know she did Awakenings. Renaissance Man, which I've never seen. The Preacher's Wife, Riding in Cars of Boys, and then like some TV. And that was it. Like, what? Like, why? I, I honestly, after watching A League of Their Own and Big, I went to her IMDb thinking there's going to be so many movies that she directed that I can now check out. And there was there's barely anything here. I'm yeah. so surprised. And, I mean, she's a woman director in Hollywood <laughs> in the 90s. Yeah. I don't want to say more than I know, but if a man had directed a movie of this caliber, it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't have gone on right. to make some pretty big things but she also did like big was an enormous hit and awakenings got like oscar noms for you know like she has done great like 
huge movies. I'm just surprised that she hasn't done more. And she's also, I feel like, not remembered as a great female director. No, she's Maybe not. because she's only made... You know, I mean, two or three movies. That, that was really... kind of the next point I wanted to make, which is not just surprised at how well directed this movie is, but why it's not seen as more of a milestone. Mm-hmm. Again, not just in sports cinema, because, you know, plenty of other sports movies have come along since then Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. It's really surprising to me that A League of Their Own is still viewed more as like a cult classic or one of those types of movies than as a real high watermark in sports movies and in movies with female characters. I think it's starting to. I, I mean, I think it's starting to, but I don't feel like this movie was hyped enough for me before I saw it. Well, I'm so happy you liked it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so happy I, knew you I liked would. it too. I, I had a feeling I'd really enjoy it, but it was just such a, it was such a pleasure and a surprise for me. Yay. This is the most successful baseball movie ever made. Oh, I'm wow. Not, I'm not surprised. Like, hands down. Like, like, what's number two? Like, Field of Dreams or something? Uh, 42, which came out in 2013. Like what? Mark Wahlberg or something? Uh, Harrison Ford, I think. Oh. Um, and Moneyball is after that, which I would say oh, is, like, not even really oh, a sports Oh, wait, 42 movie. is the Jackie Robinson yeah. movie? Okay. So, I mean, baseball is the American pastime. Directed by a woman, about women, and yet we still have seen no knockoffs of this movie. Like, there's nothing... Mm-hmm. They they weren't like, oh, look, like let's make other sports movies about women. Like, it was just yeah. like crickets. Yep. Until Whip It in <laughs> 2008 <laughs> or whatever it. that was. Um, yeah, there should be more. The, the problem is that female sports aren't seen as, you know, something, as a, as a draw. So why make a movie of it if people aren't going to go see it? But people love football, so there's 10 billion football movies, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm still surprised that this did not get more Oscar attention because it does feel like the kind of movie that really should have in 1992. Mm -hmm. Yes, and like for an an institution that gets knocked as being politically correct, the idea that this was not put forward for Oscar nominations is fucking nuts to me. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. I feel like it's the kind of movie that definitely would now because there are less movies like this. I was comparing it in my head to Hidden Figures, which came out last year, Mm -hmm. which is also about women in a predominantly like male milieu in a historical context and that was a big best picture nominee it was a hit as well as as a league of their own was but um and i would say that they both kind of have their mix of like slightly cheesy moments but also like really genuine moments and good performances so i guess that's like the equivalent now of that but that was that was you know in the running to win multiple awards like it was in the top but honestly nominations are not like i really want to urge any of our listeners (laughs) who haven't seen a league of their own to absolutely watch this movie yes they probably wouldn't have gotten through (laughs) this podcast if they haven't uh yeah we've all we've ruined the whole thing (laughs) yeah pretty much pretty much but people that have seen the movie that haven't in a while it 100 percent holds up it is fantastic i have one last thing to say about this movie. That <laughs> better be good. It is really good. Okay. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, I'm ready. Did you know that A League of Their Own was a CBS sitcom <laughs> in 1993? Okay, so I like saw <gasps> this randomly elsewhere. I did not watch any episodes of it. I did. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and? Five episodes were aired. I want to read the episode descriptions to you. Okay. <laughs> One, Dottie's back. 
Dottie comes back to her team after her husband is called back into service. Ooh. What? I mean, this is at the point when I think World War II was over, but okay. <laughs> Number two, the fat boys of summer. The girls challenge Jimmy's old teammates to a match. Number three, the monkey's curse. The team gets a chimpanzee as a new mascot. What? They Aww. went to a monkey episode th- at number three. <laughs> number four, drinking problems. Jimmy and Dottie go on a date together after Jimmy is dumped and Dottie's husband forgets their anniversary. I'm hating every second of this. Number five, marathon. The team gets entered into a dance marathon. <laughs> End of show. They, they shoot Dotties, do don't know, they? Do you know what we loved about A League of Their Own? Let's do the opposite of that. Let's add a monkey and a, and a romantic... Subplot? So Penny Marshall directed the pilot. Tom Hanks directed the monkey episode. (laughs) (laughs) Call Tom Hanks right now. I watched a few minutes of this. I mean, obviously they recast pretty much everyone except for Marla Hooch. Do they even look like? Uh, No, not really. You mean Madonna wasn't Madonna? No, Madonna did not come back for the TV show. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I read that Madonna hated making this movie. Yeah, I She hated it. She was like, I think she wrote a letter to somebody and it was published somewhere and it was, she was she was writing to them like, I have to spend my summer hanging around women, ugh, in Chicago, double ugh. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> she I love like, Madonna. I love her, but it is- She's like, a dick. Oh, she's an entertaining dick. She's an incredible talent, but she's a dick. <laughs> she's a very talented dick. <laughs> I just makes, it makes me a little sad that she didn't like filming this movie where she's fantastic in it. and Yeah, I just like that this- show completely invalidates the movie because the whole point is that Dottie does not come back. Like, right. She, yeah. The whole framing device is that she remembers not coming back. And so this... <laughs> <laughs> like, the fact that she comes back for the show doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah. why not just have a different care? Right, just have a different... Just do it without her. Like, have Kit be the star yeah. or whatever. Oh, my God. Anyway, that is that. Uh, we pretty much think A League of Their Own holds up, as in Becky and Seth really do, and I 90% do. So That's not that's not too bad. Yeah, pretty good. For the record, I think she drops the baseball at the end on purpose. I don't know, because she... <laughs> now we're getting back into it. All right. No, but I, I just want to end on that. There was, I wanted to just, yeah, say... Really <laughs> quick, that I like the moments where she... Is like saying like oh like pitch a high ball because my sister can't hit those like she's not babying her sister at all she's actually like trying to win the game so if it's consistent with that maybe she oh, didn't I, do it on purpose. okay I think she did it on purpose but that's why I I like it yeah. and it's up for debate sure on the next episode we're gonna be taking a look back at No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom as well as their earlier albums and some of their later albums and that's all the crying we have time for on the When We Were Young podcast. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this audiophonic adventure, I urge you to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review at the iTunes store so that more people can be introduced to our fun adventures. If you like us, you can show that love by joining us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You can tweet us at show. You can email us at www.yshow at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for future episodes of the show. And also, if you want to help us defray the cost of making a show that comes to you entirely for free, you can contribute to us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash young. I've been Sethi Spaghetti. I'm Becky Spaghetti. And I'm Chrissy Spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> The time has come 
Sweet, we're all 